0: Welcome to this podcast from the National Home Improvement Council, connecting industry, government and householders on the pathway to energy efficient homes. I'm your host, Anna Scothan, CEO of the National Home Improvement Council. And in today's episode, I'm pleased to welcome Mark Harrison from the Chartered Institute of Building. But before we dive in, I want to know if you've ever wondered, what do I do first when it comes to upgrading or improving my home? I know I have. It's really difficult to know what to do, when, and how to achieve the best results. Well, I often think of this simple rhyme, insulate tight and ventilate right, and then start to consider the most suitable low or net zero carbon heating or cooling solution for my property type. And that's why three NHIC members, Recticel, Envirovent and Corgi, have chosen this year to sponsor this podcast series and other activities to demonstrate their climate leadership and drive forward change. Information on the products they manufacture here in the UK and their services which save energy and reduce emissions from homes can be found in today's episode's show notes. So let's crack on with today's episode. Mark, it's lovely to speak with you today.
1: Thank you, Anna. It's great to be uh, talking to you, and uh, I'm grateful for your time.
0: Thank you so much for recording this podcast with us. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about the work that you do for the CIOB. But first, can you tell listeners, just in case they haven't heard of the CIOB, what it is and a little bit more about it?
1: Oh, w- with pleasure, Anna, yeah. So the CIOB, uh, we are a professional member institute for the construction sector. We stand for the science, ethics and practice of built environments across the world. Everything we do essentially is to improve the quality of life for those using and creating the built environment. We were founded by a group of master builders way back in 1834 uh, and far more recently, we were awarded a royal charter that was in 1980. And our first objective is the within that charter, our first objective is the promotion for the public benefit of the science and practice of building and construction. Importantly, important to note the public benefit there. So we are the most uh, influential professional body for construction management and leadership around the world. We have around 50,000 members in more than 100 countries. Uh, And our members work in disciplines that cover the entire life cycle of a built asset uh, and even in the education and development of the next generation of professionals. That said, we we work on many uh, varied agendas and not not solely in the interest of our members, but crucially, as I've said, in the interests of the public. A core part of our remit is to advance knowledge, innovation and research within construction And that means uh, we have a role to challenge the industry to be the best that it possibly can be. Uh, What I will say finally is we've uh, very good timing, in fact, for this podcast. We've just launched our five year corporate plan, our roadmap for the period to 2028. Uh, It's essentially driving us forward uh, in our aim to make modern professionalism in construction management widely aspired to and increasingly a reality across the industry. We define modern as innovative, sustainable and inclusive and professionalism as ethical, skilled and trusted. Uh, So modern professionalism is at the heart of our plan. Uh, We also have three priority areas uh, where we have a focus. The first is environmental sustainability, We recognise that the construction industry needs to operate in a way that ensures environmental impact is minimal and and contributes to a sustainable future. The second area is quality and safety. So good quality buildings and infrastructure promote health, safety and wellbeing, as well as delivering a social, cultural, environmental and economic benefits. The safety of the built environment should be so fundamental That it can be taken for granted. Uh, but Of course, in recent years with Grenfell, we've seen that this isn't always the case with tragic consequences. The final uh, area that we're going to be focusing on over the next five years is skills gaps. And this is one where I particularly will have uh, a leadership role with uh, EDI playing a key part. Yeah. We we recognise the industry must increase productivity to match other mainstream sectors, ensuring the built environment is fit for uh, changing societal needs and a growing population. Most worldwide construction markets are reporting a skilled labour shortage. The lack of a representative workforce in the sector significantly reduces the available talent pool. So that's uh, a, a quick rush through who we are, the CIOB, and what our priorities are for the next five years.
0: Thank you. And there's, a, there's so much there to unpack and it, it's fascinating. And you've been members of the National Home Improvement Council for five or six years now. And that's because you recognise the importance of those working in the repair, maintenance and home improvement sector and the impact that that has on construction as a whole.
1: So you're absolutely right. And at the CIOB, we understand um, for in in the UK, for example, we understand that at least 70 percent of the buildings currently standing will be here in 2050 with a current housing stock of around about 20 million homes. Um, The energy performance of the UK's existing housing stock must also be improved if we, you know, as a nation, if we're to achieve our long term emissions. Uh, reduction target and as you're very well aware private housing repair maintenance and improvement is a major sector for construction accounting for more than 21 billion of of industry activity in 2019 and the the case for upgrading uh the energy efficiency of existing homes through rmi should be considered a socially valuable project that will support the economy while providing an opportunity to address the health and wellbeing of residents. And what springs to mind there is the current issues that we have with people being unable to leave hospital beds because their homes are not fit. So very real benefits there. We also recognise uh, there's a chronic shortage of skills in the retrofit sector, with research indicating that the existing workforce needs to be more than doubled to address this challenge. And finally, uh, there is a pressing need to improve professionalism in the sector. There's a word there again uh, from our corporate plan. And organisations like the CIOB will be crucial for providing assurances to those considering uh, energy efficient measures in their homes.
0: Absolutely. So within um, the domestic sector and, and the repair, maintenance and home improvement sector, not only do we have. Um, underperforming stock in terms of safety and quality, but also underperforming stock in terms of energy efficiency. And the energy efficiency is going to be a strong um, driver from a government perspective because of the um, climate change issues and and the, the various legal requirements that the UK government has in terms of reducing its overall emissions. And so there is so much to do within the existing stock sector, and exactly as you said, we don't have a current, the current volume of those working in the sector to to really even scratch the surface. And I think doubling is, you know, I think we could quadruple, and and we'd still have enough work for everybody um, in the sector. And I think that's why it's really important that we work together to show that construction and repair maintenance and home improvement is an attractive sector for everybody and is inclusive. Um, And the CIOB are thought leaders on lots of different topics across the sector, as you've mentioned. One of those that's super important is around this issue of equality, diversity and inclusion. Could you tell us what that is?
1: Thank you, Anna. Yes. And uh, you're right. We have uh, CIB in the past. We've uh, you know, campaigned on issues such as uh, modern slavery and, and also promoting better health and uh, mental health and, and well-being in the sector. So we do see it as part, an important part of our role on challenging the industry to be the best that it can be. Um, so in terms of what is EDI, I mean, I think it's probably useful just to run through what, what we mean by each of the words. Uh, equality. Uh, is a word that was that came to the fore really and was associated with the legislation, it, pr- predominantly in the 70s that followed the civil rights movements of the 1960s, and uh, was seen as um, you know equality. you know, frequently, uh, if you're if you're my age, you'll remember equal opportunities, for example, in the initiatives in the 1980s. It was seen as um initiatives against discrimination so uh, trying to prevent something bad from happening i suppose or addressing the consequences of that we then came on to uh the word diversity i think probably in the 1990s it's fair to say that word became more popular Uh, and it was really in recognition of the fact that actually uh there's a there's a benefit there's a value in having different people in the room different experiences different perspectives so a yeah, positive, absolutely a positive whereas the sort of equality the connotations of equality were legislation and trying to prevent bad things from happening diversity was seen as well actually this is a good thing let's have a positive approach yeah. and finally uh inclusion i think um probably the most uh, important of the words really currently because uh, inclusion is an action it's a it's a positive decision to act and improve uh, practice so in some respects you can say particularly in big cities around the world diversity is kind of inevitable it's just a fact but inclusion is an is a decision to act and of course Diverse uh, companies, diverse organizations are not necessarily inclusive. So you can still have, you know, in very many companies around the world, uh, we see com- we see women, for example, in junior roles, less paid roles, uh, and men at the top of the pyramid. I mean, that's a generalism, uh, which I don't like to talk in, but that's the point. We need to be inclusive as well as diverse. So those that's a kind of quick run through of... Um, what we mean by EDI and I, the the way I like to summarize it uh, is really what we're trying to do in terms of EDI is to promote a meritocracy yeah sure. uh, and I, I can talk a bit more about that in in the context of the built environment sector if that would be helpful
0: yeah please do
1: sure okay so um, it's always it's always good to bring the theory you know in, into practical terms I think so yeah why is EDI important in the built environment sector in construction? Well the first uh, you know one, one factor that um, I've already mentioned, I suppose is is the skills shortage. and that's something that's uh, not a new issue by any means, but it's certainly becoming more uh, severe and um, is impacting lots of companies. Uh, in, in the built environment, we've, you know, the CITB Construction Skills Network forecast published last month, I believe, yeah. uh, identified that there are some almost 225,000 extra workers uh, needed in construction to meet current demand. Not, that's, the, you know, with current projects in mind between now and uh, 2027. So that's around about 45,000 new uh, colleagues a year. We also have um, an aging workforce in the built environment. We know from the ONS Labour Force survey that around about 35% of the workforce in the construction sector is over the age of 50 and only 10% are between the ages of 19 to 24. And when you consider the fact that the average age for retirement in the sector is around about 55, that's going to just exacerbate this skills shortage even yeah. more over the next few years yeah. um, so we do have a skills shortage we have a big problem and it is the, the indications are that it's set to get worse on the other hand what we what we can see is uh, underrepresentation of certain people in the sector you know and anecdotally of course the sector is is not named not known for being representative of wider society perhaps in terms of data we know around about 14% of the the construction sector uh, is female uh, in terms of employees, but only 2% of that, uh, of the wider workforce are female on site. That's 2%, uh, which is quite remarkably low, I think. Uh, It might not surprise some people, but when you think of it in those terms, I think it's stark statistic. Um, We have... um, Black and Asian minority ethnic people underrepresented um, at 14 uh, percent, similar. Um, so they're 14 percent of the population, whereas on site and in the construction sector more broadly, around about six percent. So underrepresentation there. Similar for people with disabilities, around about six percent compared to around about 20 percent of the population. So there is underrepresentation of certain groups. And when you consider we have a skills shortage. There's really kind of an obvious answer there. Um, and I think but it's not just about the skills shortage we have. There's lots of benefits for a positive commitment to diversity and inclusion. Um, top of the list, I'll go right in with the business case is profitability. We know from various research uh, organizations, McKinsey in the States, for example, have found that organisations that are more diverse and inclusive have higher profit margins. They are they are more successful companies globally. They're also uh, better at innovation. If you have, and it stands to reason, doesn't it? I suppose if you have people yeah. with different perspectives, different experiences round the table, you kind of it's more it, it's going to be easier to avoid the pitfalls of negative groupthink and identify. Better innovation, uh, new new uh, and better ways of meeting the needs of diverse people. Uh, my favourite example in that uh, of that was the the when Apple launched uh, their health app, and uh, uh, at the launch, um, which was quite a grand affair, as you might imagine. Uh, someone pointed out they'd forgotten to include menstruation in their health app, and and which was costly because they had to go back to the drawing board, but also reputational damage and uh, they realised they'd had no women on the developers team. So having a diverse and inclusive and gender balanced team helps to come up with better solutions. There's also uh, the ethical case we're seeing with uh, Generation Z uh, people coming into the employment market looking for companies that offer more than just good terms and conditions. They want to work for companies who are committed to sustainability, to committed to social good uh, and uh, social responsibility, but also EDI. And of course, those people will increasingly become clients. So that's important. Uh, last couple of points, the staff satisfaction. We know that companies that respect and recognise people for their contributions rather than prejudge them on their characteristics, those employees give back an extra around about on average 30% discretionary effort. And that's got to be good for customers, clients, and the morale of, of the workforce. Yeah, um, for sure. And I think I mean I, I won't go into the legal case. We do have the Equality Act in the UK. Legal action is expensive, damages reputation. But for me, that's not the best reason for uh, promoting diversity and inclusion. I'd I take it to the human scale, to a personal level, uh, and and refer to Angeli, who is one of our members. Angeli is uh, an award-winning uh, window fitter. She's dynamic. She's really enthusiastic about the sector, but she's a young uh, young Hindu woman. Her family come from South Asia, and uh, she goes on to site every day she says she faces barriers so very often um she's the only woman on site the the ppe doesn't fit that she's given which is hazardous yeah um she has to search out the female toilet which is very often either doesn't exist or is filled with bags of cement um you know the the tools that she uses are designed for male hands so they're too big but there's also as well that that you know there's banter uh, on this on the uh, site very often which isn't particularly welcoming and th- the other factor is when they do have a social it often revolves revolves around the pub and alcohol which she doesn't feel able to participate in so you know talking to Anjali I have to say if I was in her shoes would I want to return to work the next day you know and uh, it's a testament to her dedication to the sector I think that she does so you know it is real there's a real personal impact here we need to address those issues to make the sector more inclusive to address the skills gap for the benefit of all have to underline that it's for the benefit of everybody
0: absolutely and i mean it you know when you look at it from a business case point of view as you've outlined it's an absolute no-brainer that you would want um to be attractive to the whole of the population, irrespective of their gender, their race, their sexual orientation, their ability or disability, you would want to have, you would want your sector to be attractive to the broadest pool of talent possible um, so that you can have the best people working in it. And in, in addition that you've mentioned the sort of natural challenges that construction was happening that, that was having around skill shortages and people shortages um sort of dub- covid doubled down on that certainly yeah. in the rmi sector yeah. where people um, because of lockdowns and the, and the various challenges that we had in in 2020 2021 decided to not return to work uh, decided to take retirement early, yep. or you know, reevaluated what they were doing with their lives and thought, let's you know. So we had an even, a, a, you know, an extremely sharp decline in um, the available workforce. Yep. Um, more, construction more broadly, especially so in the southeast. Um, the impact of Brexit and the changes on the uh, rules around immigration has been even more challenging. Um, in terms of workforce volume. So the sector, which, you know, it's almost 10% of GDP as a whole, has a huge impact on the success of this nation holistically. Mm -hmm. And the fact that perception-wise and possibly around the way that um, schools and colleges talk about construction and the the, the roles that are there um, and potentially around employment as well, Um, we are making it so much more challenging for ourselves to succeed because the sector is perceived as male only, white and probably old. And that's barriers that we have to break down. We know that there's lots of organisations like yours and other trade associations and organizations that are working hard to break down those barriers and i know that nhic members in particular have worked extremely hard trying to get um, women and people from ethnic minorities onto apprenticeships programs and into roles and really struggle to get those roles filled even if they look at um you know positive employment practices and things like that now you guys at ciob you lead an industry-wide employers forum. Um, what what are the challenges that employers are finding and and how's that work going?
1: Well, yes, it's, I mean, I, you know, I think just to respond to your comment um, about the challenges in the sector, I think you're absolutely right. There've been a num- the number of really significant challenges thrown our way. but I, I guess just wanted to add in a note of optimism because I do think we're seeing... Uh, An enthusiasm for addressing this agenda now it's, and people are at yeah. all levels are genuinely seeing the business case um and you know the ethical case as well you know we do want the sector to represent wider society so that you know that's absolutely what i'm seeing and the 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 employers forum is evidence of that what i should say and apologies for the the minor plug here the um We set up and launched the CIOB's diversity and inclusion charter for employers in November 2021, really to um, we recognize that, you know, the the majority, the vast majority of the sector is SMEs and people don't always have an understanding of what is required. Uh, And, you know, let's face it, there are anxieties around this, the concerns around this agenda. So we wanted to try and help uh, by giving people uh, a charter to sign that sets out five key steps um, to take and they are no, they're not prescriptive they're they can be they're, they're high level so the actions uh, can be um, uh, committed to adopted in any environment globally um, so as a benefit of signing that charter and i should say we've got a i think about a hundred and fiftieth Signatory today, which is Kia I believe, which is great news. Um, all the employers who sign up can join our uh, employers forum. Oh, I should say as well, important fact: signing the DNI Charter is free. There is no cost, and takes about fifteen minutes. So um, anyone can anyone can do that. So the the forum um, to get onto your question. Apologies, Anna. Um, is uh, is the Chatham House Rule uh, forum? For employees, what does that mean?
0: What does that mean?
1: I beg your pardon. So, Chatham House rules is basically you within the meeting discussion is free, and uh, we encourage people to be as honest and open as possible about the challenges they're facing. Um, But outside of the meeting, comments are not attributable. That the reason for that is that uh, it allows um, yeah more open discussion. Yeah. So the idea of the forum that, that I set it up with the, in my role at the CIOB was really to give assistance to those um, companies where there isn't a dedicated EDI resource, where people are on this, uh, this journey for the first time. And what we focus on, uh, and naturally, we, we started to talk about the challenges that companies are facing. Uh, increasingly now, I'm very pleased to say. I think we've had four meetings now. Um, we're looking at some success stories, so people share those and take them away. So very, this agenda is, you know, we see as being about collaboration um, and partnership working rather than competition. So some of the challenges that have been raised are uh, around um, data collection from employees around um, workplace culture, that's come up several times Um, and um, the um, practical aspects of having an accessible, welcoming, uh, inclusive uh, workplace. So lots of lots of discussions around that and and also I have to say around things that you've touched upon here, which is recruiting Diverse um, employees, attracting people to apprenticeship schemes, and so on. So, the very it's a very the forum is intended to be and is 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 demonstrating uh, the focus on actual practical challenges and the way round uh, the ways round those challenges and 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 it's proven very successful. Uh, and they're very welcome. So, at the end of each meeting, uh, several of the company representatives say how useful it's been. So, I would encourage, um, you know, anyone thinking of the beginning of this journey, any companies out there, please, you know, consider signing the charter and, and yeah. you'll get an invite to that forum we do you know a a large number of the companies there are very small some of them you know 10 employees um, but are committed to making a change to the sector that we need and for those very good business reasons that that you've mentioned
0: absolutely and and I was going to ask you how many are are small organizations and and the NHIC were you know very proud and privileged to be invited to join the employers um to to sign the charter which we did and um even even and and some listeners might feel oh we're we're a tiny micro sme what difference does it make but i think attending these forums and hearing what other organizations are doing and especially because there are large construction companies part of it that have you know they've, they've got edi leads they've um had lots of training in this space you can sort of distill and download a lot of that knowledge and really then use that in your own small business. And that then will start to, you know when you're looking to recruit in the the adverts that you put out or the way that you conduct interviews or whatever, that all starts a very important ripple effect of demonstrating that construction broadly, is a sector that is attractive and inclusive for everybody so I would encourage anybody listening don't think that your organization is too small or what would you get out of it and what difference does your little organization make because it 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 all benefits the whole
1: absolutely I mean I you know just in response to that completely agree um you know it go it goes back to the comment you made earlier really sure any employer surely will want to employ the best people for the job from all sure. sec, you know from for all sure. quarters of society um that has to be a priority no matter how how small you are as a company and and the other thing i would say is the forum is the perfect opportunity to ask the questions that you know you're, you're somewhat uh, anxious about asking you know you can it, it's a it's your meeting it's your forum make the most of it and that's exactly what people do they say you know i've never discussed this agenda before i'm you know i'm worried about this and that and i'm worried of saying the wrong thing how do i approach x y and z and we talk it through so it's absolutely for for you know the benefit of people at the beginning of the
0: journey absolutely that's fantastic um and it's it's such important work that you're doing at, at the ciob how did how did you get into it personally
1: okay well that's um um, that goes some years ago, it goes back a few years, I'm showing my age now, I, I work for um, a government quango, the housing corporation, you may, you may remember it, we were, a, we were a regulator of um, housing associations uh, across the UK and um, a piece of work came up around um, responding to victims of domestic abuse domestic violence, and what we were found what we found was in these housing organizations they were giving uh, let's just say the advice they were giving wasn't consistent and some of it was harmful so we need we felt we needed to uh, do something and I wrote the first uh, um, guidance it was called behind closed doors and um it was it inspired me really I met some people um who who really inspired me on this uh, on this agenda, and I felt that it's you know it's something that I could do that would benef- be of benefit to people, and that I was really interested in, and that kind of expanded into the wider EDI agenda, which you know is much broader than that, of course. But uh, yeah, it just it, it felt like a really worthwhile thing to do yeah. um, to make a difference, and um, you know I've met so many people, I've worked in different sectors over the years, I've worked in the charity sector, I've worked in higher education and now construction. What I love about construction is the sort of can do attitude is let's get this let's get this done and then we'll move on to the next thing. So that to me is really refreshing and and I'm I'm really happy to report that um, there's so much enthusiasm for this agenda in the sector at the moment for the very good reasons we've talked about so um you know it's not going to go away and and i you know i'm hoping you know this is this is not these issues are not they can't be changed overnight but certainly we're seeing enthusiasm and action that's the important thing uh, is action on this at the moment so uh, working with lots of different companies on the forum and signing the charter we've got a conference coming up we've Got EDI awards for the CIOB. And final point um, is that we've signed recently a, a memorandum of understanding with um, our colleagues in the RICS, in the RIBA, the ICE, the uh, Royal Town Planning Institute, and the Landscape Institute. And we are committed to working together because we recognise that the built environment sector needs the change across all those professions. Uh, and it's it doesn't make sense to do it individually. We want to do this as a consistent whole uh, and work in partnership to to sort of see the change that's coming. And that's a first. That's another first there. So, um, you know, I am optimistic and I think uh, change is coming. It will take some hard work, but it's absolutely possible.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. Well, you have certainly inspired me. Um, and if listeners have been inspired to what you said and they want to get involved or learn more, what should they do?
1: Thank you, Anna. Well, I would um, uh, forgive the plug again. I would suggest uh, listeners look at the CIOB website and there's a search facility there. And if you pop in the words diversity charter, uh, you'll be taken to a link. You can see um, what we mean when we say sign the charter. There's a um, take you uh, to that. You'll see the logos of all the companies that have signed And um, yeah, you can you can download a badge to say that you've signed it and your company is committed to this work. And we're seeing every week companies sign it. So you'll be in good company. As I said, it's it's a free resource and uh, you'll also have access to that um, very useful employers forum. So I'd encourage uh, your listeners to do that. Uh, uh, Thank you again for the opportunity uh, to talk to you. Anna.
0: Well, thank you so much. And thank you for all the amazing work that you're doing in this space and to the CIOB for making this a priority um, for their um, plans for the next five years as well. And thank you listeners for listening to this episode of the podcast from the National Home Improvement Council showing climate leadership and delivering change supported by Recticel, Envirovent and Corgi. Be sure to follow us across social media and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Podbean so that you don't miss out on any future episodes.